0: In theory, this should be happening. Someone has to say hello now. (laughs) Gotta tell me you can see it. Only them will know this is happening. There we go. It's happening guess I should look at this chat, not that chat. I don't know why I need headphones. I can't. There's no guest today. That's really super strange. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining me for this totally impromptu uh, just hang out. Uh, I was all set to be reporting on the test launch and it didn't happen. So <laughs> Uh, the launch has been delayed for a couple of days. I think it's got a 48 hour scrub and then it's going to be happening. So, um, I just thought I would jump on and do this. So space TV is asking, um, that if this is a regular thing. So I used to do this on a regular basis. I was doing, uh, these sort of live stream QAs once a week on Mondays around this time. And literally like 10 minutes ago, I was like, man, I got to start those streams up again. And then I thought, okay, I will, uh, do it right now. And so, and so I did now, now I do a ton of other live streams. Um, we do the weekly space hangout on Wednesdays. I do the astronomy cast on, um, Fridays and, and, but I don't just do sort of a direct, uh, live stream here on my own channel. So I figured I would just do that. And so I figured I would just hang out with folks and, uh, just answer any questions that you have about space and astronomy live as opposed to sort of after the fact, the way I do the QAs and you can just pick my brains and, and a a lot of, there's a ton of value for me in doing these live streams. Um, again, why am I wearing headphones? There's no point. There's no sound. There's no one I'm talking to audio. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I doing these live streams sort of brings my brain into what's happening right now and, and what kinds of things you wanna know about. And um, so I, I really find these really useful and valuable for my brain because a lot of them just turn into episodes. So uh, Emil oh, wants to know, do I play any computer games? Yeah, I play a ton of computer games. I have a gigantic Steam library. I have about a thousand games in my Steam library. Right now I'm playing Stellaris. And the new version 2.0, the Apocalypse. Um, But I've got... um, Oh, what have I been playing recently? RimWorld, um, Witcher 3, uh, Fallout 4. I got a ton of stuff. So um, I don't have a lot of time to play games, which is sort of my sadness. So again, I'm trying to figure out some way to be able to bring my computer games into the live stream that we didn't actually went and did a live stream on my Twitch channel Saturday and I played um Stellaris for 3 hours so if you want to watch that you can do that Um someone wanted me to talk about the really cool Tess uh Orbit. Man, I feel like I wanted to show you guys tomorrow's episode today. Should I do that? Do you want to do that? Do you want me to show you going to get a sneak preview of of tomorrow's episode. Let's see if we can do that. Let me think on that. Play PUBG. No, I don't think i will be playing PUBG. g well, that's what the kid does. Um he does that and he does um uh Fortnite and he's super good at it. He's playing Dead by Dawn right now and he's super super good at it. All right, let's tackle some questions now. Um the orbit of Tess right, so Tess is doing this really cool orbit um where it goes around twice for every time that the uh the moon goes around once and it's a really neat orbit and again, I wish I could man, I should be a little more organized about this. I apologize, I will be more organized next time I'll be able to show better media um but uh so and it's a brand new orbit it's called a uh p two uh Man, lunar orbit, I forget the name of it. Anyway, and so what it does is every, so it goes sort of high up above the earth and goes around twice every time the moon goes around once. And uh, my dome is magnificent, yeah. And this has never been used before. And it goes on this sort of very elliptical orbit. And so it gets very close to to the earth and then it gets very far from the earth. And over the course of this process, it will, um when it gets as close as it's going to be sort of within the van allen belts it's going to be able to communicate all its information to the earth and then it's going to fly out to the far point of its orbit where it's going to sort of do a bunch of its research and then come back and so every kind of two weeks it's going to be close to the earth and transmitting all this exoplanet data and i'm so excited about um about what tess is going to be able to do and again i've got this whole video i'll totally do this preview of it i think i'll try um and it's going to be able to observe the entire sky and it's going to be able to observe about five hundred thousand stars nearby stars all of the closest stars and so if there is a close star it's going to you know that has planets around it it's going to be able to find it we are going to know all of the stars that have planets that are lined up with us so it's a pretty amazing scientific mission and i'm really stoked about it um patriots fan 12 have you watched lost in space on netflix yet uh yes i have watched the first three episodes and i am not thrilled i gotta say i'm not super enjoying it i <laughs> it's funny so in the first episode i don't want to spoil anything for anybody but it is like uh, rescue inception so it's like the first person has to rescue the second person who is trying to rescue the third person who's trying to rescue the fourth person. And I was just wondering how many people they could stack up of rescues. It was pretty hilarious. Um, so there you go. Ari uh, span. So can Tess find Earth sized exoplanets orbiting sun like stars in the Goldilocks zone? Yeah. And so Tess is going to be able to find all of the bright, I guess all of the stars within, you know, it all depends, I mean, but but it's going to essentially observe the 500,000 brightest stars in the sky, and then any of those that have planets orbiting around them, it's going to be able to find the estimate is going to be about uh, two or 300 Earth like planets and then the same number of super-Earth-like planets. These are the planets with sort of more gravity. And just, you know, that number of planets is going to be able to turn up. is just going to be amazing. And unlike Kepler, which right now is locked on sort of finding these, these red dwarf stars, oh, um, it's going to be able to find... Um, uh, like Kepler during its K2, because it was busted, could only find planets around red dwarf stars. But uh, TESS is going to be able to find them around Earth-like, it's going to be able to find them around Sun-like stars, all kinds of things like that, and red dwarf stars. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. It's a pretty exciting thing that we're going to be looking forward to. You know, I always thought that Kepler was going to be the one that was going to find the Earth 2.0, and it never did, right? It because it broke down on the third year it was never able to find it. Um, but now test is going to come along and it's gonna find it. So that's the hope. Do not delete this video. I won't. Um, I what I used to do before was I would try to make it a little more official, I would um, pull up pictures, and then I would try to make it answer the questions and leave the answer down in the bottom while I was doing it and So I'll be a little more organized and formal next week. But I thought I would just turn on the recording and just hang out with you guys. Hi, uh, hey, Zenderman. So uh, <laughs> you got to change your username LDSK. You're like a, a, a volcano in Iceland. Um, do I, here's your question, though. Any thoughts on the Event Horizon Telescope project? Right, so the Event Horizon Telescope is this worldwide network of radio telescopes. It's not actually one telescope, it's just a whole bunch of radio telescopes all around the world that are going to be taking the first direct image of a the, the event horizon of the supermassive black hole at the heart of the Milky Way. And this is this has never been done. And the image the data has been gathered. But the part that I just love about this is that the data from Antarctica is was taken during the Antarctic winter. And so in order to actually do the data, they had to bring all of you know they had to fly out the tapes into the hard drives that had all that data and man what that did was um uh you know it's just, it, it's, it, it's amazing to think about the amount of data that it's going to take to be able to produce this image. And I kind of thought, that because they, they did the data back in the summer of last year, and I sort of thought that we would have gotten that image now. So really, you know, they're crunching it right now, and we should see that first image of the event horizon any time now. Of course, um, it's it's going to be disappointing. Like, you got to know that it's going to be sort of sad when we first see it, it's going to be a blob, right? But it's going to be a very interesting blob, because we've never seen anything like that before. Um, all right, so another question. Uh, What my PC specs are? I don't remember. I hate computers. Uh, It's an i5, I think. And a 970 video card, 16 gigs of RAM. It's not great. Uh, Chad has a much better computer. He's got like a brand new i7 dual core that he uses for editing. And he's traveling in Europe right now. So he's left his super fancy computer right beside me. And every now and then I have to give it a kick so they can edit a video remotely. Uh, But it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, And at some point I wanna make that my gaming rig actually. (laughs) sean champagne do i have a tesla interested in getting one no i don't have a tesla um my best friend has two of them um and he did much better than i did on in the software world and it's awesome like i love uh driving in it but i i would much rather spend money on building my business on getting computer gear going traveling camera gear things telescope things like that so you know if i have like If I make so much money, I have nothing to spend, then maybe I get a Tesla. But until now, until then, like a crappy old Honda is is what I use. Aerospan, do you have a day job or is this it? Hoping this is it? Yeah, so my day job, for anyone who doesn't know what my day job is, my day job is that I am the publisher of Universe Today, which is a space and astronomy news website. And I've been doing that for 19 years now. I founded the website in 1999. So it's just closing in on my 20 year anniversary of doing this. And when I started, it was just a side gig from what I was doing. I was, I was working for a web development company out of Vancouver and I loved, um, man, I want to answer that party balloon question in a second. Um, yeah, so I, and I loved space and astronomy and I wanted to get more experience in building a website. And so I just started universe today as a side gig and within like three months, I'm like, okay, this is going to be my job for the rest of my life. Like I just knew. And I've been able to sort of grow the website. Uh, we get several million people a month visiting the website. We've got probably a dozen freelance writers, many who now are too busy because they're writing books, um, who write articles for the website. I do the Astronomy Cast podcast. And this whole video thing is actually fairly new. I've only been doing it for the last five years or so. And it's just a, a, you know, an experience uh, to sort of growing experience. So it's I'm, I'm really glad you guys are enjoying it. I'm here for the long haul. I mean, I I've dedicated my whole life to this. I'm going to be here for, uh, you know, I've been doing this for decades and I plan to be doing this for decades more. Uh, let's talk about the balloon. Right. So so Elon Musk mentioned in his Twitter that he was going to try and bring back a second stage rocket using a party balloon and that's not crazy right the idea is that you take a piece of space junk and you attach a balloon to it you inflate the balloon and what that does is it creates a bigger cross section for the uh, for the rocket and so then the rocket ha- will you know will hit more of the earth's atmosphere and will deorbit And this is an idea that has been kicking around. And one of the requirements is that um, uh, one of the requirements was that space junk has a way of returning to earth. And so there have been various ideas using lasers, building, putting rockets on your space junk. um, And, but this idea of just putting a balloon on a piece of, you know, on a piece of that that is going to be debris will make it deorbit more quickly than it would normally. And so what might have taken, say, I don't know, several years to deorbit might come down in a matter of weeks or months. Uh, Andy Cowley, we need the virtual star party back, please. Okay, good news. The virtual star party is going to be returning. Um, but that's all I know right now. I've got a partnership with uh, OPT, uh, Oceanside Photo and Telescope, And there they've built a um, a remote telescope set up. And so one of the big problems for people who don't know the virtual star party was this live telescope streaming that we did several years ago and we had a great time. But the problem was that it was like herding cats every week because each individual astronomer had to have good skies technology that was working and functioning. And so we would be all ready to do the show. And then for whatever reason, things fell through. So this time around, I learned from my mistake. And as sort of the backbone of it is this is this really great telescope facility that's out of uh, the California desert, I believe. And then we're going to use that as sort of the the guaranteed telescopes and then other friends are going to jump in and and stream from their own telescopes as well and then we're going to get astronomers on and we're going to talk about stuff in space so that is coming i promise you um i would say sooner than later i would say you're going to see the virtual star party it's going to have a new name i think i think we're going to call the weekly star party i haven't really sort of thought this through yet um but I loved it, and I know you loved it all as well. So I do plan to bring it back. Stay tuned. Um, so, so Derek Fester wants to know: Do I think the party balloon will work? Yeah, I do think it'll work. I think you're going to see, um, uh, you're going to see these balloons as a practical way of bringing space junk back. Oh, you need to be banned! Hold on a second. I should set some um let's hide you goodbye that work there you go um i should set my mods normally i have a bunch of mods that'll do this so okay we get it we get the user will be hidden um rumple stills Would a starshade coronagraph work for Hubble exoplanet observation? Thanks in advance. Uh, Yeah, Um, the starshade is this idea of it being a separate. Separate coronagraph, something that would fly about 10,000 kilometers away from the Earth, sorry, from the spacecraft and would block out the light from the sun. And then you would be able to see the planets right beside the um, uh, right beside the sort of the part that's blocking. And so right now, the sun. You know, the reason Hubble can't really detect planets around other stars is because it has no way to block out that really bright light from the star and be able to see the things that are right beside it. So a starshade is this sort of completely separate spacecraft that would fly about ten thousand kilometers away from Hubble or James Webb or anything like that. And be able to um, block out the block out the the light from that star. And so, yeah, there's no reason why coronagraph wouldn't work for the Hubble Space Telescope, and then it could work for the James Webb Telescope. Although, I mean, James Webb is going to be like uh, two and a half million kilometers away from the Earth, so you, they couldn't use the same one. But uh, yeah, absolutely, the starshade is is one of my favorite ideas, and we actually got a chance to. To speak with Sarah Seeger on the Weekly Space Hangout last year, I believe, and talked about the the starshade and coronagraph and some of the ideas. So yeah, no, I'm pretty stoked about that. Uh Zefan, Zephan, talk about the telescope in the background. I think he's using the question mark. Good one. Um, so that is a <laughs> it's all reversed. Uh that is a 70 millimeter uh apochromatic refractor telescope. Uh, made by stellar view, with a explore scientifics mount, it was provided by um, uh, Oceanside Photo and Telescope. Uh, So and they're the same partners that I'm gonna be working with on doing the return of the virtual star party. So Uh, What are the binoculars on the shelf for bird watching? No, those are astronomical binoculars. So they are 15 by 75 binoculars and they are the greatest, highly recommend. If you uh, wanna get into amateur astronomy in any way, shape or form, first thing you should do is buy a pair of those binoculars. They are the best. Um, They let you see, uh, star clusters, you can see some of the planets, you can see features on the moon, just the Milky Way, I really like sort of when you have the, the dual optics, you know, the binocular vision of both eyeballs. It's, uh, it's a really great way You sort of fall into the sky. So if you don't have a pair of binoculars, and you want to learn the night sky, and you're thinking of getting a telescope, start with the binoculars. And there i see the sweet words asking me that question just bought a telescope do you have any recommendations i i don't really have any recommendations just get out as often as you can and learn your constellations so um you know when i was like 13 14 years old i got my first telescope and i was really lucky i lived in really dark skies on vancouver island and so i would just spend night after night out learning the constellations. And after a while, you just you see the night sky like this really familiar roadmap that you're like, oh, look, there's constellation of um, Andromeda, right? There's and and then I know how to find the Andromeda galaxy because I know these stars and that stars and it's just a little off from that thing. And there's the double cluster in Perseus and things like that. So um, the first thing that you should do, and that's why binoculars are so great, is you can just go out, take out the binoculars, learn your constellations, and you know, and go from there. Um, Elden Crom, test the upper stage. Perigee will remain near Earth. Right? How much delta v to get into the air breaking territory and then deploy the party balloon? Um, I don't know specifically the trajectory of the upper stage that that SpaceX is going to be launching for the test mission. As I mentioned earlier, the um, the the like this balloon method uh, is a is a sort of theorized way to return space junk quickly so that doesn't remain in orbit. so I'm not sure sort of exactly what trajectory they're going to take. Elon Musk didn't give a lot of details and we're going to, you know, we're going to jump on this and report on it. But, you know, I, I don't really know exactly what the plans are. So if you know anything, I would love to hear it. But right now we're just uh, kind of flying blind. He just said, by the way, we're going to use a balloon. <laughs> so there you go. Mm. Um, all right. To get another question. edward hinton have you ever seen anything in the sky that you couldn't explain no i have never seen anything in the sky that i can't explain and and i think that's a big part of it um hold on a second here someone's trying to get a hold of me um yeah, so I haven't seen anything that I can't explain, and and part of it's like once you know the night sky, right? You know where Venus is, you know where the airplanes are, you know what the satellites are, you know what auroras look like, you know um, when some of the bright planets are are nearing close by. Then you everything is expected. Um, one of the cool things that I've wanted to see, I've seen one bolide, which is a really bright meteor, and I and I've never seen a. Um, an iridium flare, which a lot of people have noted. And I really wish that I could. And because they're going to be coming down pretty soon. That whole satellite constellation is going to stop working. And so if you sometimes look up in the sky and you see this bright flash, that can be an iridium flare, which is like this uh, really shiny surface on this satellite. And when it happens to tumble in a way that, that reflects the sunlight. You see this really bright flash, and then it goes away. And I would love to be able to see that. And so far, I I haven't. Um, random stuff. Can you talk about the Voyager booster restarts? I'm gonna need more information because I don't know what you're talking about. Are they planning? They they restarted the thrusters on Voyager. Uh, I feel like it was a couple of years ago, and it was like after 30 years, the the thruster system on the Voyager still works fine. And unfortunately, we're going to be losing the Voyagers probably in the next five to 10 years. So it's not the thrusters that are going to go. It's going to be its battery is going to its nuclear battery is going to degrade to the point that it no longer can provide enough energy to heat the spacecraft to keep the electronics uh, warmed up. And it's just they're going to die. Orbital mechanics, mathematics. I don't know. Is that a question um, by Mr. X? I, I play Kerbal space program. I've learned more about how orbital mechanics works through playing Kerbal space program than I have through nearly 20 years of science space journalism. it's, it's pretty, it's an amazing program. Oh, sorry, Ghost World. I'm going to try to do this once a week. So stay tuned. Um, let's see. if there any more questions now? What's my favorite bit of science fiction? Right now, I'm really enjoying um, The Expanse. That is definitely one of my... Favorite here we go. Let me just do this. Uh one. Where's Zapfin? There you go. Boom. There you go. I just made some mods. Um What's your favorite sci-fi? Yeah, I'm really enjoying the expanse. I love season one, I love season two, and season three just started up and I really loved the even the first episode and my wife's read all the books so she's kind of ahead and so she's prepared for where the story is going to be going i'm not so um yeah i'm uh, i'm really loving the expanse i mean the expanse has one big gotcha apologize now the sun is coming in on the side here um which is very unusual for the west coast of canada um yeah the expanse has, the, has one big Uh, thing you have to give it, which is that they're using these high powered fusion drives that can accelerate for like 10 G for a very long time. And I don't, uh, you know, we don't know anything that could do that maybe metallic hydrogen. But um, I think that is, uh, you know, that is the most energy dense fuel source that we know. Uh, beyond that, um, you know, there's no way that we could sustain any kind of thrust for longer than really just a, a couple of minutes at a high degree of thrust. And that's sort of why the, in the expanse, they can have this cool gravity. Everything else in it, though, and is great. So they say, well, like if we could have this kind of acceleration, then what would space flight look like? How would space combat work? And all that is is great. And so I have no problem whatsoever with any other part of the science of the expanse. I'm I really enjoy it. And if you haven't watched it, highly recommend it. Um, Orbash wants to know, how can we reconcile space exploration with this crazy no contamination policy The one they blew Cassini about we can't reconcile it. Right. In order to explore the solar system, we are going to have to touch it, right? Mm -hmm. And that means setting down our spacecraft on worlds like Mars or eventually. Right. I did a whole episode on what it's going to be like to land on Europa. So imagine you send a spacecraft. It lands on Europa. It drills down into the liquid water oceans beneath and searches for life. And then on the other hand, we know that Earth bacteria can survive the journey to uh, to, to other worlds. And so th- we're going to get to a point. I mean, we can try to clean and try to decontaminate our spacecraft as much as we can, but we're going to get to a point where that jig is up. There's no way for us to be able to maintain any kind of... Um, you know, any kind of complete decontamination, and we're going to run the risk of of getting to a point where, uh, you know, we're going to be discovering life on these other worlds, and it's going to be life that we contaminated on these worlds. And when you think about things like what SpaceX is doing, the way they're planning to colonize Mars, there's no way you can try to prevent the contamination of Mars at that point. It's done. So I think that these places are going to be pristine for as long as they possibly can. And then humans are gonna wreck them. Just like we do everything. Do I have any kids? Yes. I have two kids married. Yes. Married. My wife is, uh, is the, my camera wife, Carla does the uh, camera work on my videos and my children, Chloe and Logan, Chloe's 16, Logan's 14. So I actually announced their births on my website way back in the day. So, Um, they're doing great um logan is a monster on uh various video games and my daughter is a sci-fi author so it's pretty exciting let's see get some more questions yeah derek don't worry i'm used to trolls um i'm not seeing a lot of troll questions i'm seeing really cool cool questions so and i just put in some, some people to, to be moderators. So I'm sure they'll be fine. Um, maybe they'll become space scientists. I don't think they will. Um, my son really enjoys watching like chemistry stuff. He's a big fan of Cody's lab and I like, you know, and Cody is a fan of my channel and I'm a fan of Cody's channel. So that's great. Um, and so he likes chemistry. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes down that route or becomes a chef or a musician. I don't know. And my daughter is definitely going to be a writer. She's probably going to be writing sci fi or is going to be like doing animation writing, things like that. Um, Charles Selgas, what are your expectations by 2030? Do you think SpaceX will make history by landing on Mars and will continue to dominate? Hmm let's see 2030. I'm going to say that uh, by 2030, SpaceX will have not launched their first humans to Mars. This is my guess, right? I don't want to be a bummer on the whole SpaceX thing. I think they are going to launch and test the BFR. I think it's going to happen within the next couple of uh, years. I mean, they're saying that they're going to see the first tests of the BFR next year. And they're going to see the first orbital flights of it by 2020. But we've seen that timelines tend to slip from SpaceX. So I wouldn't be surprised if it, you know, maybe we see the BFR start to fly by 2022 2023. And then they're going to have the full booster stack maybe flying a couple of years after that. But it's one thing to sort of get that hardware into space. It's quite another thing to actually go to Mars. There's so many engineering challenges to go along with it. What are people going to breathe? What are people going to eat? Where, how are they going to live? Where are they going to get their electronics? How are they going to be protected from radiation? So I'm super excited about this. And I think they are going to move down that timeline. But I think it's just going to happen a little more slowly. So I'd say around 2030 will be my guess. And again, this is just me following my experience of watching people including spacex make predictions for when they're going to have things completed and how long it actually takes now i find spacex is like this unstoppable uh, machine of their momentum like now they are launching falcon rockets every two weeks they are landing them they are reusing them they are it's just you know it's astonishing that they have, net, But they have now mastered this technology, that they, this road that they started down 10 years ago. So that's my feeling. I don't think they're going to make it by 2030. But I think we'll definitely see them try by the 2030s. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a mission to the moon a lot more earlier than that. So that's my take. Whoa, thanks for the $10. That's awesome. Uh, will we be able to get to Proxima Centauri? So what are your thoughts on 2001 Space Odyssey? Um, I'll do that backwards. 2001 Space Odyssey freaked me out. It was the scariest movie I had ever seen. I was like six years old when I saw it and I couldn't sleep all night. I just the the thought of that, the spooky computer, everything just had me terrified. and it was I still have a traumatic experience. Okay, I'm gonna admit, I have not watched 2001, since that moment since i was like six years old and it freaked me right out so at some point i will watch it again with fresh modern eyes um and then the second question, do I think that we're going to go to Proxima Centauri? Well, apparently Proxima Centauri sucks. Like, let's start with that. Like, it's barely worth going to. Uh, we know that there are these big super flares that reach the planet and uh, scour it of, of any kind of life. So if you want to go and watch a red dwarf star, you know, hit its poor planets with flares, then, you know, be my guest. But obviously the question is, how long is it going to take before we have some kind of interstellar capable spacecraft. And again, this kind of technology is going to take us a while, right? Um, it's going to probably take us another um, you know, the most viable technology that has come out so far is uh, this idea of from the breakthrough Starshot, this laser propulsion system where you take these micro micro probes with little tiny sails and you zap them and they um, and they fly to, you know, alpha Centauri at say, uh, 10% the speed of light. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, there are so many challenges to go with this, right? Like being able to have your lasers and have the infrastructure and be able to, to zap these things and be able to guide them properly. And then if they make the journey, you know, if they, as they make the journey, are they going to be smashed by interstellar dust can they even go that fast. There's so many questions that we just don't know. I think personally, I mean, I I loved the idea of Breakthrough Starshot explaining, you know, in public that they're going to send probes to Alpha Centauri, but I think it is the way to explore the solar system, right? It's the way you send probes out to the farthest reaches, set up an orbital laser, send up thousands of these little nanosatellites and start zapping them all over the solar system, and have them communicate with each other and create this network of, of communication systems. So I think we have a lot of infrastructure to, to go uh, just in the solar system before we try to reach out to other other worlds. So I think what the way it's going to look is we're going to um, you know, we're going to get started. SpaceX is going to build a ton of momentum. We're going to start building this really surprisingly big infrastructure in space in the solar system over the next, say, 100 years, and then we'll try to be reaching out to other star systems. That's just my opinion. We'll see what happens. Um, let's see. <laughs> Do I believe in planets? Yes. Yeah. So John Michael Godier, uh, by the way, John Michael Godier, check out his channel is watching uh, one of the best YouTubers going right now. So uh, someone put a link to to John's channel because I'm sure he's going to be too ashamed to do it. Um, But yeah, 2010 was a good movie in its own right. and I love 2010. I was older and it didn't freak me out. So um, I okay, I'll do it. I'll go back and I'll watch 2001. I you have my solemn promise. I'll do it. Uh, what was the other movie that freaked me out? I had like two or three movies. We had this this movie uh, place called the Ridge in Vancouver, and they used to do these movie uh, triple bills, and so you'd go and watch three movies. and I and I had older friends and family who would like loved going to these movies, and but it was for me as like a six year old, seven year old. Oh, S- Star Trek, the Star Trek the motion picture, freaked me out too. Uh, again, I was maybe seven years old, eight years old, and it just terrified me. So. Oh, yeah, that was a uh, that was that was, you know, and I haven't watched that movie since. Although, I, you know, it's not like I think I need to because it's not like it's sort of this deep and meaningful space exploration flick in the way that 2001 was. And I've read a ton of Arthur C. Clarke. Anyway, clearly I need to have a therapist to talk about this or something. Um, Was Alien one of no Alien wasn't. But Aliens was again, it's all about the ages. Right. I watched Alien when I was older. Um, I watched Aliens when I was like 15 years old, I think. And it just, I couldn't believe my mind. In fact, my, my buddy, uh, Paco is watching, I think. And he and I watched Aliens together for the first time. So, uh, shout out to Paco who's watching right now. (laughs) Christopher Brown Lloyd, Event Horizon freaked me out a little. It didn't freak me out, but again, I watched it when I was older, so. Um, There you go. Cosmic lettuce. Just subscribe to John Michael Godier's YouTube channel. Done. Let's see. Yeah. Okay. Charge ale. Wrath of Khan. Freaked me out when they stuck the worm in that guy's ear. Yeah, that freaked me out too. Yeah, I think I was 15, and so I was. But aliens. It was. It was the perfect thing for me. I was like, on the one hand, totally nervous but on the other hand, like just so excited by the spacecraft and the aliens and the fighting, I just loved it. So there you go. There's my buddy Francisco. We went to watch that movie, I think in Vancouver when we were like 15. So how cool is that? to Have one of my best friends here in the chat. All right. Um, I'll go for another 20 minutes or so. If Poltergeist freaked me out, <laughs> I would love to hear from people. That's a great question. I got to ask that question to more people. Like, what's a movie that freaked you out that wouldn't have, def- you know, that didn't freak most people out? Stormbringer Mornblade. So, what you're saying is that man will live long enough to build a space station system before he trashes the place. Yeah, we are human beings, we ruin everything. What? I mean, come on. Um, But the reality is, I think that we're going to get to this place where we are going to be able to get all of the heavy industry, all of the polluting stuff off of earth and let's just make earth the best place in the universe. It already is. Right. We know that Earth is the best place in the universe, but let's just like let's get all the parts that make it bad off the planet and then we can just really enjoy our own planet. I mean, that's one of the reasons this is this is the thing that Jeff Bezos has been saying from Blue Origin which is different from what what elon musk has been saying and i re- that his take on that really resonates with me more than colonizing mars Like i totally get it let's colonize mars let's have a backup copy so that if something bad happens to earth then we'll have a place to go but my um i i really like this idea of 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 making earth better like i haven't explored all of earth yet right i haven't been to australia i haven't seen antarctica i haven't been to the arctic i haven't been to asia i haven't been to africa i haven't been to south america there's a lot of places here on earth that that are totally worth exploring and then you think about all of the things that we're doing to our planet releasing carbon dioxide and mining out the precious metals and using up all our helium um that we could just get rid of all that stuff so uh Neon visual. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, let's see. Next question. (laughs) And then next Einstein. No, absolutely not. Uh, I have just been doing this job of space journalism for a long time. And I think that's important, right? Like if you enjoy something, and you can get really good at it, if you are willing to put in a lot of work over a long period of time, so I highly recommend it. Uh, Find out what you love as early as you can and do it for as long as you can. Mike McHugh, there may be better planets than Earth, maybe. But I doubt planets that are as good as Earth for our evolution, right? We evolved hand in hand with with Earth. So I can't imagine a place that would be better than this planet for who we are and what we require. And, and at the same time, we are Wreck it to a certain extent. So I would love for us to not wreck it and have a better life and have all the stuff that we want, because the rest of the universe that we know of right now is there's there's nothing out there, right? Let's grab all the stuff. And let's make Earth better. It's my opinion. Um, Don Archangel, will the next Einstein be an AI? A uh, good question, probably. I think you saw my last QA, right? You know, what are the existential crises that face uh, humanity? I think we're going to wipe ourselves out with either an AI or some kind of bioweapon. So, yeah. Uh, the capacitor. What are my thoughts on NASA's mission to Psyche? Do I have a Oh, hold on. Let me grab this. So one of the things that I have is a, a nickel... Metal meteorite, and it's a chunk of space metal, and this came from a meteorite strike that hit the Earth back in um, uh, about five thousand years ago in Argentina, and it is awesome, and I think that if you, uh, you know, if you want like a really cool thing, if you want like something that shows like, hey, I've got something from space, buy a meteorite and psyche is going to be a mission. that's going to go and actually explore one of these things. And it could be sort of the core of a, um, a planetoid. So yeah, I think we should totally go there. Um, when's my next collab with Isaac Arthur? I don't know. It's just a topic. He's done everything. That guy just lives in the future. Talk about the next Einstein. Yeah. Campo del cielo. Um, He's not seeing her questions, I guess. Top chat, not live chat. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, I am seeing the top chat. There. There's the live chat. Um, I like the top chat now. I totally forgot that there was a top chat and a live chat. <laughs> I can see why people are talking about the tr- spam and trolls. There you go. Um, and it's boring now, Paul Velikov, you heard any news about the lander on the Europa Clipper mission? No, um, the, the last NASA budget was huge and they got a ton of new, um, sort of additional money than the, than what they were expecting. And so, one of the things that they got was a, um, you know, it may be that a lander on the Europa Clipper mission is back in. So we're still sort of waiting to see what the actual implications of that because, you know, uh, them actually developing a lander is going to take a while to add it to the Europa to the Europa Clipper mission. So we'll see whether that happens. Jamie Ball, do you think JWST will resolve the very first stars? Yes, it will. I kind gonna of go back to the top chat. They look about the same. Go back to the top chat. Let's see. That's yeah, it's the same. Um, yeah, so the whole point of the James Webb Space Telescope is it's going to be able to resolve the first stars of the universe. So um, you know, there's this thing that's called the age of reionization, and it's this last big mystery. Big mystery that cosmologists want to be able to look at is this time when the stars lit up after the cosmic microwave background, and uh, right now we've got really good detailed imagery of the cosmic microwave background, but not this next time, this age of reionization. And this is really what James Webb is going to do. And while it's at it, it's going to do things like find planets, detect the atmospheres of of terrestrial planets orbiting other stars and all kinds of stuff like that. But that is the um, that is the main thing that's going to be able to do. And right now, Hubble, occasionally gets to spot really distant galaxies, but it has to do these bank shots, right? It has to use some intervening um, galaxy cluster as a natural telescope. But James Webb is going to be able to do this kind of thing directly. It's going to brute force look right out to the edge of the observable universe and see these first forming stars and, and galaxies. It's a, uh, I mean, this is why this thing is so important. I mean, to you can't understate how important the James Webb Space Telescope is going to be. And it's already at whatever, eight and a half billion dollars, um, and it's going to take a couple more years to develop. It's got to go above 10 billion by the time it's all done. So, so much is riding on James Webb. I really, really, really want it to happen. Ghost world not to get political at all. But are you happy with the administration's more generous budget for NASA? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Right? I'm a Canadian. So it doesn't really matter. You know, we didn't have anything to do with it. But absolutely. I mean, more money. We were freaked out. Everyone in the you know, in the space science community was completely freaked out and thought that there was going to be budget cuts, and that there was going to be all kinds of science missions killed and Earth science and human spaceflight and all that kind of stuff. And um, all of that stuff was uh, approved. And in many cases, budgets were increased. It's the best budget for planetary science that has happened in decades. And so it's great. I, I am, you know, kudos to the U.S. Now, it's not necessarily the actual White House administration that did it. In fact, they they submitted the budget that had all of the big cuts to it. But Congress and the Senate Congress went over their head and approved a larger budget. So I think we're going to be OK. But we'll see. <laughs> Edward Hinton, James Webb would be the biggest disappointment in space history if it malfunctions in orbit. Yeah, this is we get one shot at this, right? If James, you know, my joke is I plan to just like take James Webb and just encase it in glass. And, and then that way it never launches it. It can never fail and it can never break our hearts. Um, but there's no second on this. You can't just go and and build another one. Right. It is. It is so complicated and so technical. And there's so much riding on this mission that it just has to happen, uh, right? It's Arctic Warfare, NASA canceled W first. No, they didn't. They've uncancelled it. So this again, this is one of the thing the the benefits of this new budget. So no, everything is good. Um, how close do you see asteroid mining? Raffle 23. Uh, so asteroid mining is a is Good. I think we're going to see some some attempts at asteroid mining probably in the next 20 years or so when the SpaceX BFR starts to launch, it's going to be able to do things like fly to nearby nearby asteroids, pick them up, <laughs> bring them home, right? Because uh, it'll be able to hold so much in its cargo holds, it's going to be able to do things like land on the moon, like just the BFR alone, we will be able to fly and fly to space, land on the moon, pick up. Uh, You know, astronauts can walk around on the surface of the moon and then it will fly home like it'll recreate the the Apollo missions, just brute force, just because it's got that much power and capability. So I think you can see them attempting to do some asteroid mining. The problem is, again, the engineering challenges. How do you land and connect and dock and and mine and gather resources and return them to earth. All of these challenges, return them to space. Like there's a ton of challenges to go through and they're they're gonna become engineering challenges that I don't think anybody is is ready for yet, but people are gonna figure them out one at a time. Uh, What's the books? Uh, I got, I don't know, a ton of books. Um, I get sent books all the time. To because we interview people on the weekly space hangout, and often you know if we're going to interview someone who's written a book, then they'll send me a copy of the book, and so I they they kind of pile up. I know this is like a humble brag, right? They pile up, and then I take them down to the library and I give and I donate them to my local library so that they can get books. So that's about six months of books, and there's a couple there that I like, but no, they've all they're all just review copies of books that publishers have wanted to promote. Um, So there you go. Um, What kinds of asteroids in our solar system are expected to be valuable for mining? The thing that's, that's most valuable is the orbit. So you want a spacecraft that doesn't require a lot of Delta V to get to, right? That the, that is the most valuable thing. And so there are a bunch of these one, for example, Tutatis, um, man, I forget some of the names of some of the other asteroids, but there's a bunch that are in this really close orbit to the earth. And so it requires only a little bit more Delta V than, um, Uh, Then, you know, a little more Delta V than just to get into low Earth orbit to then actually rendezvous and dock with one of these asteroids, surprisingly low. And this is why the Obama administration was originally pursuing this idea of a of an asteroid mission was because they, um, uh, you know, because they were very easy to get to. And there's a lot of technology and a lot of commercial outcomes to to go from there. So. uh, you know, they'll have all kinds of things on them. They're going to have hopefully they're gonna have ice in their, you know, under the regolith, they're gonna have various minerals, they're gonna have metals, you know, some things like iridium and palladium and platinum and things like that are very rare on on Earth. So um, those are the kinds of things that you, um, you know, that you're gonna want to be able to pull from asteroids. So, um, Acknowledge the Dutch fake moon rocks, but he won't. I'm recording this. I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, can we take a beer break, please? I'm gonna wrap up this recording in five minutes, so and then you'll get your beer break, and I'm gonna go eat dinner. Yaman asks, "Do you believe that humans will lose their individuality and combine in combining one giant connected god, like how it's happening gradually in China with Facebook, or do you believe we will retain individuality?" Whoa. Um, I think that we are building our successors with technology, with computers. So, uh, whatever the super intelligent, super artificial intelligent computers that we build wants to do, then it's going to be up to them. And I don't think we really have a lot of control over it. We're going to build them. They're going to have an opinion and we're going to kind of have to do what they say. uh m to is hollywood getting time travel really wrong in my opinion wouldn't Martin mcfly just pop up in the vacuum of space with the earth billions of miles away yeah there's so many reasons why uh time travel is handled incorrectly in all science fiction and there's a great video i, I some point someone should find it and post it where i actually posed a question to neil degrasse tyson um for his star talk show and and that was the gist of my question to him was well isn't the fact that we don't see any time travelers proof that there will never be time travel, right? We don't see any time travelers around. None have ever been recorded. Therefore, there will never be time travel. So there you go. Um, but I always imagine this idea of like, you've got Hitler's bathroom, and it's just filled to the brim with time travelers just kept popping in to try and assassinate him. Uh, do I want to know if I believed in aliens? I was wondering if that when that question would come, I did a whole episode called Do I believe in aliens? And the answer is, I have not seen any evidence that is compelling enough to make me think that we have seen any evidence of aliens whatsoever. So, uh, but I can't wait to be proven wrong. (laughs) Robert Waco, slip a mole inside SpaceX, give us continuing coverage as the BFR is designed. Did you see the picture of the tool that... um, Uh, that Elon Musk shared of how they're going to be actually fabricating the BFR. It's this gigantic rotating cylinder where they'll be constructing it. And it's just enormous. So I can't wait. Uh, Any comments on Art Bell? Not really. Um, I never listened to Art Bell. I mean, as a Canadian, we didn't really have it on the same kinds of radio stations. So I never got a chance to listen to it. I was kind of sad by the kinds of guests that he would sort of let say things. I mean, there's a lot of channels here, even on YouTube, that are hurting people, right? They're scaring people about the apocalypse, about planets, about things like that. And, and all the predictions are wrong, because they're not scientific, they're not astronomical. They're just they're just, they are, I don't know whether they're trolling or whether they are, you know, whether there's some kind of religious undertone to what they're doing, but I don't think they believe it. So Um, and, and I get emails all the time from people who are terrified that the world is coming to an end. Children, right? Person who's like 13 years old, who's terrified because they've been reading all of these posts about how the world's going to kind of come to an end on April 23rd. And it's not right. Remember 2012 and remember all, all these other things. It's never going to come to an end uh, until it does, but that'll be billions of years from now. So I get super annoyed by, um, by that kind of scaremongering and I don't really understand what the purpose is I don't understand why they do it but it's harmful and I think that art bell had a lot of those kinds of people on the guests uh, as guests and so he had other times when he had my buddy Phil played on as a guest and I think that was great um, so he had real scientists and he clearly loved space science but he didn't bring on you know didn't wasn't able to handle the kinds of guests that he was dealing with skeptically. So that was my, you know, that was my opinion. And, um, but I know he was sort of beloved by a lot of people. So, um, it's my, that's my take. All right. It's been an hour, six o'clock time to wrap things up, but I promise we'll come back and we'll do this again. So thanks everyone for joining me on this totally impromptu live stream. I'll be a little more prepared next time with better technology and some screens and stuff, as opposed to just staring into the camera and looking up on my other window where I've got my chat, I'll get this all a little bit more sorted out. So um, uh, to see any bears all the time, we see bears every year, Uh, just not not while we're recording episodes yet. All right. I'm going to wrap this up. Thanks everybody. Uh, if you haven't already sign up for my Patreon, it's the best way to support the show. If you haven't, if you can, not if you don't have any money, I totally get that. Um, watch more videos. That is the way that you can help get the, you know, people like, Oh, you should have more subscribers. Well, the way you do that is you send the right signals to YouTube. So, you know, if you haven't seen all the videos in the back catalog, go watch another one. Uh, virtual star party coming back. You heard it here. I'll let you know when it actually goes live. And uh, I will see you all uh, tomorrow with an episode about Tess and Kepler, and then a new QA in the in the works as well. All right, we'll see you later this week. Now I'd stop